Hello and welcome back to Parallel Passion. First off, I'd like to sincerely thank everyone who supports this show on Patreon. If you wish to join the awesome patrons of the show, go to patreon.com slash or follow the link in the show notes. You'll not only be supporting this podcast, but you'll also receive a special supporter package. Today, I'm joined by Ara Howard. His Instagram is filled with pictures of nature because that's where he spends most of his time. Be it skiing, mountain biking, hiking or whatever else. I met him at a Ruby conference in Kiev in 2015 and we had some amazing discussions there. So ever since I started this podcast, I wanted to have him on and now it finally happened. Enjoy! Hi Ara, welcome to Parallel Passion. How's it going? Oh, it's going great. How are you? I uh, just got back from a long mountain bike ride and that ended up being uh, about twice as long as we planned with no food and got to the office and there was homemade warm donuts here waiting for me that someone brought in. So I'm doing really, <laughs> really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's great. Let's start with, um, like, uh, with a quick introduction of uh, who are you and what do you do? Um, so my name obviously is Ara Howard. You probably put that in the title of this or something probably. like that, but, uh, mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a technologist, um, who lives and works in Boulder, Colorado. I run a software agency. Um, well, I still say that it's actually now become a workaround co-op, but initially it was a software agency. Um, that a friend of mine and I started, um, downtown called Dojo four, um, kind of a interesting collection of, of misfits and technologists and, uh, like sort of world changers that all work here. Um, I'm originally from Alaska, um, and spend, and you know, it's part of the reason we're in Boulder. We, uh, we do business here because of its proximity of the mountains. So. Maybe that's us in a nutshell. Yeah, that's awesome. You you mentioned just briefly before we started recording. Um, I asked you, um, did you did you listen to this podcast before? And you said that you have an interesting to- story to tell. So, oh yeah, <laughs> I guess I put you now on the spot. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I it just it's uh, I was into podcasts like early on, you know, and they kind of had like this this two phase popularity that uh, yeah. Um, I, I don't even really remember what years it was, but it must have been around. Uh, when my son was young, so maybe 2007 to nine, something when I was working at NOAA as a research scientist, um, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time listening to podcasts and that's like when we listened to them on XMMS and only Linux geeks were into them and then they just kind of went away. Um, and I come from a musical background, you know, people with recording studios and things like that. And so I've kind of, I've always appreciated like the audio format. Mm-hmm. And um, I was telling you, there's a person you'll want to meet um, that works with us, uh, Joel Davis. Well, he doesn't really work for us. He just lives here. He lives <laughs> in our office. He's been here for about three years. And he used to own a record label, did a little technology thing. I don't know what the hell he does, but <laughs> the reason he's here is uh, he's been like the music director at the local radio station for a long time, okay, like 30 years and he plays amazing music. And at a certain point after him just kind of hanging out here, we kind of had to come up with a narrative of like why he's here. And at the end of the day, we're like, okay, you run our parties and be our office DJ and we give you free rent. That's basically the deal. <laughs> so, I mean, we're super good friends now too, but like, so we have this office DJ anyways, he's doing a podcast as well. Um, you know, like in, in kind of a, a vaguely similar space to mm-hmm. Parallel Passions. Okay. And I think you guys would really enjoy, yeah, you guys would really enjoy meeting one another. And I think it's super cool that uh, the medium is is just having the popular, popularity that it is again. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely coming up again. I, I remember when I was like first hearing about it, I think it was like in an era where um, iPod became popular, mm-hmm. but it was really like a niche and everyone was saying, oh, it will go away, like there is no... There's no future in that. And then it almost went away, but now, yeah, it's definitely on the rise again. Yeah. It feels like everyone has a podcast now. <laughs> totally. I don't know how you make the time for it. Oh, no, but I, I enjoy it because for me, it's, you know, it's it's this. It's talking to people that I like to talk to. And I, 
I was actually looking forward to this interview uh, for a for a very long time. So yeah, I'm 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 happy to have you here. It seems like a long time since we've talked. I mean, it has been a long time. It has been a really long time. Yeah, we met in Kiev, I think, in 2015 or something like that. Is that right? I can't even remember. Yeah. What year is it? Yeah, <laughs> it was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was a while. Yeah, even even then, I, I had the feeling we were constantly talking and. Um, Another guy that was there uh, was uh, Eric Berlin, who's also was on on the podcast. Yes, and I was just uh, researching you, and I found out that you got the Ruby Hero Award as well. So you're actually the third Ruby Hero person I have uh, here uh, after Eric and Linda Lucas. Oh, oh, that's awesome! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember a, a fairly. Uh, uh, fairly serious, but also drunken. Um, <laughs> oh, stop phone. Sorry. Fairly uh, drunken bowling competition that right. we had in Kiev. That, you know, that trip was, that trip was, you know, I've had the same feeling too. Like sometimes you have a connection with people and we obviously had a connection and like, but that trip was, you know, for me, it was, it was quite transformative for some very sort of unexpected and strange ways. Like it's definitely one of the more memorable trips I've taken. I'll say that. Oh yeah. In, in, in what way? Um, I mean, you know, coming from where I come from, if you draw a line like through the planet, that's basically as far away as you can get. Right. Right. (laughs) It's the longest, it's the longest, you know, like great circle. You could travel flying to get someplace. It's on the other side. And at the same, and, and, you know, I think a lot of people would expect maybe as an American or whatever, like the foreign, like maybe they would expect me to say something about how foreign it was. And for sure, the culture felt foreign, but I'm, I'm originally from Alaska and I can't really explain why, but it felt very much like home to me, the culture, the sort of speed of it, um, a little bit of like. I don't know, like the cold, the cold, a little bit of a different relationship to like nature than we have in Boulder, where it's like basically like a recreational theme park, you know, versus like just <laughs> a place you live, you know, and I don't know. So there was something that felt like very homey to me, but then it was also completely different at the same time. And, you know, like we got there and there was shitty hotel rooms and like the conference was like, whatever, it was kind of interesting, but the adventures that we had in the city were super fun. And I stayed, you know, for me, like the trip also the next day really did it for me because I hooked up with this guy. Thanks to Facebook. I hate to say that this is arguably the best possible thing that Facebook does is, you know, I basically just put out there, I'm going to be in Kiev tomorrow. I want to go mountain biking. Yeah. You know, anyways, and it turns out you can't even rent a decent bike there. Um, but because of Facebook, this guy's like, well, or even buy him. It's really hard to get him. He's like, basically, he's got two good bikes and he rides all the time. Yeah. Anyways, he took me for a huge ride and we had been out drinking all night. So I was not feeling that great, but we ended up riding like nine hours. And it was this really cool ride where you would go into these beautiful parks, um, with really swoopy, you know, trails and you know, kind of gritty, like, you know, like there's some couple maybe making out in the, in the bushes over there and, you know, kids smoking cigarettes, <laughs> but, uh, but then beautiful trails. And then you'd come into the city and we just would alternate like through the whole day. So I really got a completely different view of the city than where we were. And there was just some really gorgeous, I mean, there was gorgeous things everywhere, but the, the way that it kind of, I guess that's what really felt homey to me is the way that town just kind of blended in and out of the outdoors is, I mean, you could also call that sprawl, but that's how Anchorage is. That's, you know, where I grew up. Like you're just never far from the woods, basically, you know, they're always right down the street. So yeah, you brought the biking up and uh, I also see on your Instagram that you, you mountain bike a lot. Um, Where does this uh, love come from? Like, when did you, when did you start doing that? Yeah. Um, in the womb, um, <laughs> mean, meaning like literally like the love of riding bicycles is basically the first thing I can remember. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that is just like how I, yeah. I mean, since I was, since I could ride a bike. So, 
I, again, you know, I grew up in Alaska and we were in the, we were in Anchorage actually just for a short time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we moved out to the Valley, the Valley's, uh, beautiful mountains, you know, you're surrounded 270 degrees, the ocean's 30 miles away. You're inland a little bit, but, uh, beautiful forests. Um, and it was, it's quite a small place. And so we li- literally lived on the edge of everything. Like if you look at a map and I point to it, you're like, you know, it's like all the United States. And then you're in the last state and then you're kind of in the last big city. And then you're in a suburb of that last big city. Mm -hmm. And then you're on the edge of that. (laughs) (laughs) So you like you, I would walk out my yard and it's like nothing forever. Like (laughs) you, you know, so, and it was, and it's in Alaska in the summertime when you're a kid, you know, it's daylight until midnight. You know, even when we're in second grade, we're out till midnight. Like it's like, you know, because you can't sleep yeah, and it's like 70 degrees and we would just get on our bikes and just, I mean, it's crazy now, I think as a parent, like relative to what people do, but like we would roam like 20, 30 miles away Hmm. on our BMX bikes. Hmm. I just, no water bottle, no food, no jacket. I didn't, you know, like, and we would just do that like basically all the time. Like that's all we did. And so that's how I grew up. And uh, it never, I thought at one point in my life when I was basically a starving professional cyclist that, you know, when I retire, that'll go away, mm-hmm. you know, especially because at that time, you know, there's, there's definitely not every day riding a bike was fun. It definitely resembled work. And yeah. And then, you know, and I've had some major accidents. I broke my back, my back's bolted together you know, and I thought, Oh, I'll never ride again. And it's just something, it just kind of keeps coming back where ultimately that like freedom. Um, and it's the same with, it's the same with cross country skiing for me in the winter. It was cross country skis and otherwise it was bikes, you know, um, mm-hmm. BMX bikes, but basically dirt bikes, you know, we had not, you know, not, um, although I, you know, I do ride on the road a lot too, but so just like wandering around, like in the transitions, you know, tree line is very low in Alaska. It's, uh, maybe only 2000 feet high. Um, actually, God, I think it's even lower than that. It's been a little while. Let me (laughs) think about that. Anyways, it's only, you know, a few hundred meters in other words, above sea level. And so you go from marshes and bogs and wetlands through deciduous forests and beautiful, like, you know, super dense vegetation. It's like a jungle. It's a moderate rainforest, temperate rainforest. And, um, And then you come into the Alpine, you know, where you're around, you know, you'll hit snow and lakes and you have lichen and tundra and there's mountain goats. And and you can do this all like as a kid on your BMX bike or on foot because the, the elevation, the climate changes so rapidly, right? Like with elevation that it's just, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's like, it's like even better. Like people watch the Lord of the Rings. They're like, oh, New Zealand's beautiful. And I'm like, wow, you haven't seen anything yet. You know, it's like, it, it's, it's a pretty spectacular place. You know, I'll just put it that way. You mentioned it in, in passing, but I think it's a, it's a rather big part of your life. It's like uh, you did professional cycling. Yeah. And what I'm, what I'm actually interested in is how, how you got into that and why did you decide to like, um, come to to europe to do it because like you said like alaska is on at the end of the of the world compared to europe like it's it's completely different place yeah so i i imagine it was quite a big step for you to come here yeah yes and no i guess i mean so i got into cycling realistically you know i was i saw i was really serious cross-country skier through through grade school and or uh, through high school, rather, I got into it late, actually, um, not until high school. And I was always a really good student. And that was kind of my thing. And more of a nerd. I wasn't like, a, I was athletic, I kind of played some sports, but I wasn't, you know, definitely wasn't a super athletic, you know, more like backpacking, and I'd play some soccer, played some baseball, you know, yeah, frisbee, like just just general stuff, but active, but not an athlete. And I got into, and it was cross-country skiing really that brought me to cycling. And it was the competitive aspect, you know, I, as a, I was getting bored, frankly, like with education, (laughs) um, just everything was, it was just really boring. I got in a lot of trouble in school and 
got put in special programs and yeah that was before the era of the internet where you could do whatever you want online exactly that exact that's exactly right and i got i mean i i'm always a little embarrassed to say but you know i basically got like put in this program for smart kids because where they let you kind of design your own stuff and so you'd stop fucking making trouble basically (laughs) and um so it was i was in this really small group and that went away. So I was in that all through elementary school. And then, in, in, but in high school, that program stopped. So I was just kind of in like normal education and I was bored out of my mind anyways. And I, and I got into cross country skiing and I remember going to the first race and cross country skiing is a very, it's a very big sport in Alaska, like thousands of kids racing on the weekend, you know, about half the Olympic team is always from there. It's, it's huge, very competitive. And I just remember having this really profound, like sort of it was, I don't know why it was so interesting to me, but that when you go to, like I played team sports and like I said, you know, I was into academics and things, but racing was like different because everywhere else in life, everyone can succeed. We can all make a good business. We can all get married. We can all have kids, you know, um, we can all get the PhDs. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe not everyone, but yeah, not every, yeah, not everyone, but I'm just saying it's possible. Like yeah. it, it's, it's, I mean, well, possible is it's mathematically possible, <laughs> just that but um, anyways, and the thing with racing was that only one person wins and it just, there was something that was like so exciting to me about that. It's, and it was just like the pursuit of it, you know, because at the same time, unlike, you know, a soccer game or something like that, baseball game where you go and half the people win, right? Yeah. Or that kind of a situation, you, you also always lose, right? Like as an endurance athlete, you line up to lose. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course, even, even the best in the world, you know, like yeah. there's really five guys on any given day in any given race that have a chance at winning. Yeah. And so, and I think a lot of people see that and like the competitive aspect, but the thing that was, I think so attractive to me is I'm like, why would you go suffer like that? Put yourself <laughs> through all that when you know that you can't win and right. You could get pretty metaphysical about that, like right away, but like it was that. And that's, and I ended up going through skiing. That's what motivated me through skiing. It's just that experience. And like that just sort of way of living for like the process and just like throwing yourself wholeheartedly at life. Basically you're like, you're going to (laughs) die. You're going to experience suffering, right? Like life is hard. Um, There's pain and you know, there's pain and death basically. And so, well, we, we don't know that. (laughs) We we don't know know what happens. Well, we know there's pain. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's a good point. I don't know. That's, that's, you say, we don't know that. What makes you say that? Well, you don't know what happens when we, when we die. Yeah. Okay. All right. We're going to come to that later. <laughs> Let's give now. <laughs> when did you decide to, to come over to, to Europe and why? Um, is it like in, in us, is, is it not a big sport or um, like why did you? Yeah. So, so, um, so I would, so I started cycling basically as auxiliary, you know, summertime fun for skiing. Basically, as juniors, we'd go out, do some races, mostly with the men. And it was very fun. Um, and I never really thought too much about it. I lost my spot on the travel team, the ski team, um, and lost my full scholarship, in other words. And I was like, ugh, because I really didn't want to be in university Anyways, the only reason I was there was to ski race. Hmm. And so if I had to pay even half of it, I just decided I wanted to drop out of school. (laughs) So I left school and put all my shit in my car, uh, including my bike, and went to New Mexico. I had a girlfriend there. Started going to classes and basically dropped out two weeks later because I fell in with a bunch of bike riders. And I day two, like it just ended up being like this guy that I ran a room from. He was a bike racer. He rode pretty much every day with his professional team, Shackley down there. And they're like, do you want to come ride with us? And like second day there, they're like, we're going to Santa Fe. And I'm like, okay. And like, I don't have water bottles or food or, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I've ridden, but like, I'm not really prepared. And they're like, it's nine hours. And, uh, I'm like, okay, <laughs> we started. And so we just hopped in. And so I fell in with this really great group of guys who was riding all day, every day, which made it hard to go to class. And I don't really remember how I was making money to eat, but that's <laughs> all we would do is just go ride. And it was amazing in New Mexico. And then I started going to races with them. 
And that season or the end of that semester, um, even though I dropped out of school, I hung out for a while because I was living with a girlfriend who is in, who's in uh, university there. Right. So when she left, I lost my house. And I asked my mom, <laughs> I said, look, at the time, and this will be funny, I'd kind of done the math and I was like, I can get home from anywhere in the United States for about $300 in gas money. So the deal was you... Will you wire me the money? Because no internet, right? Yeah. Then too. Will you wire me money when I run out of money so that I can get home? And I'm going to go race my bike and see how long I can feed myself for. That was the idea. Mm-hmm. And so that ended up working actually pretty well. Um, we'd make kind of just enough money to have gas. And, you know, we'd camp a lot, a lot stay with a lot of host families. It was a super fun, super fun lifestyle. We ended up at this race in the middle of the year, Milwaukee Super Week. And there's a guy, his name is Paul Nassens, and he um, would bring a ringer team of Europeans that didn't make the tour. Right. Okay. Um, tour de France. And this race, it's not really a stage race. It's an interesting format. It's like um, you race every day for two weeks, but it's not a stage race. So, they're just, so you can take a day off or whatever. But there is an overall, there's a lot of money. And these guys would come and just win all the money, basically. And I just... I don't know. I, you know, so I'm living out of my car, right? That was like a big part of it. Um, is I didn't have a home in the United States and racing then basically meant I, I would drive, you know, a thousand miles, 2000 miles to some random place, Silver City, New Mexico or Mammoth, California, or, you know, Boston, Massachusetts, like just crisscrossing the country to random places. Right that cost a lot of money and it took a lot of time. And, you know, we would do that because we were stage racing. So you, then you could be in one place, say for a week or however long the stage race was. So you're not always driving. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, so I ended up talking to Paul and I'm like, I'm interested in coming, you know, coming to Europe um, because as I mean, Europe's small and there's trains and, you know, it, it just seemed actually logistically a little easier. And at the time they used to fly over the poles too. So from Alaska, from Anchorage, you used to be able to fly straight over the pole to London. It took like five hours. Huh. Did not know that. Yeah. So in my mind, it was simpler <laughs> to go to Europe. And I just walked up to this guy and I was like, told him, and, you know, he saw how I was racing. And this is back in the day. He's like, uh, fax me, right? <laughs> <laughs> True story. So, <laughs> yes. So I faxed him this letter and kind of gave him my resume and, you know, what I'd done. And it all seems very silly now. But, and he's like, cool, I have you a house and a team and the use of a, not really, we couldn't drive. We had a car that we could occasionally use to get places, mm-hmm. which is at that point, everything you need. And so I just showed up and we were basically broke. Um, we got, a, we got uh, you get paid start money in Belgium, you know, and you win money. So we basically had spending money, like go to the movies and stuff. And we were taken care of and we just rode. Um, and all we would do basically is, you know, get up, drink too much coffee, try not to eat, play a lot of chess, go training, come home, drink a lot of tea, try not to eat, <laughs> you know, uh, go training. Sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. Watch Beavis and Butthead on MTV and then, and then race, you know, like three, four five times a week. Belgium is incredible. Like every day there would be, I mean, it, it's not an exaggeration until let's say you'd look in the paper and, Within riding or just like hop on one train, you know, we would have at our disposal 20 kermesses that we could go to on any given day. Wow. Yeah. That is a lot. Yeah. And like gambling and spectating and lots of people at each of them. Like it's so, it is the most popular sport in the Flemish part of Belgium, like more popular than professional soccer, more popular than professional cycling. Like the amateur cycling thing is like, it's just like the lifeblood of that region. Hmm. Um which is why, you know, which is why I wanted to go there. And how long were you there? How long were, how long did you? Uh, uh, three years in a row. So I would come home in the, uh, I would come home. So actually it's funny. The first year that I came home, I went home to Alaska, staying with my best friend who was a friend from ski team. And we were training. It was really hard because I mean, skiing, we were fit, but it's hard to prepare for bike racing when it's 20 below and you know, there's snow everywhere. So yeah, <laughs> I wanted to go somewhere and I didn't really know where. And I met a girl who's now my wife who was also an Alaskan and she was home from college. Um, when we met and I, I didn't know her, it turns out that she was living with a bunch of girls 
who were on the ski team in Boulder um, that I knew like from high school. So it was a big bunch of girls that I knew. Mm-hmm. So one thing led to another and, you know, we're kind of dating and basically they're like, you can come stay in our couch. <laughs> and so I would basically bounce back and forth between maybe home in Alaska for a few months with the parents in Boulder for a good part of the year, especially the preseason, um, just riding bikes and, you know, living with a girlfriend basically. Um, and traveling to Europe and, uh, you know, some racing stateside. And then as I, I had some injuries and as that was winding down, um, actually I had a really bad injury, broke my back, but it sounds horrible. Yeah. It was, it was not a fun, a fun accident. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't think any injury is, but breaking your back, uh, especially I think can be the back actually was not the bad part. The bad part was the, uh, spiral compound fracture of my femur. So my, if you like picture a piece of celery, you hold a piece of celery and you twist it until it comes apart. Wow. That's what my femur did. <laughs> so it like shattered and like poked out my leg. <sighs> it, it was, oh man, I just remember like I came up after the accident and, you know, like, is my bike okay? <laughs> Fucking idiot, you know? And I look down and I'm like in a pool of blood that's like four feet around. I'm like bleeding out of my, you know, yeah. I'm like, oh, just passed out. <laughs> woke up in the ambulance, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, that was, those are the days. Um, (laughs) in fact, I actually forgot that I broke my back. (laughs) I was, and I started having, started having all this pain later, you know, later in life. And I put on a little weight by little, I mean like, you know, 10, 15 pounds, like, and that was really, you know, having a lot of pain mm. and I came in and I like a lot of pain, like a, like a, you know, bottle of vodka and 30 ibuprofen a day kind of pain, oh, you know? And, uh, I went into my doctor who is like, had been my doctor at the time when I was racing. He's like, Andy, he runs the sports medicine center here. And he's like, he's like, I don't tell him about all this nerve pain. I have my leg and it's like shooting up and down my body. And it's like, do you remember when you broke your back? And I told you like, when you were 40 or 50, you might walk with a cane, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, no. <laughs> and he's like, what the, f- what do you mean? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I was like 25 then. I didn't pay attention to things like that. I'm like, you know, and uh, he's like, yeah. So I had broke off the, uh, oh, what do they call them? The facets. So basically the wings, the bones on that, that you can touch right. on yeah, your yeah, back, yeah. right? Yeah. And so one of my vertebrae had moved forward about 13 millimeters. So translated, you know, so putting pressure on your spinal cord, basically. Mm, Yeah, that's probably not good. No, it's really not good, actually. And I got like five opinions on what to do next. But everybody, you know, they were like, if you crash, you, you may be paralyzed. Basically, if you like fall hard, you, you might not walk. So yeah, so they were like, we got to bolt it together. Fusion. And, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a big one. That's when my kids were young and, uh, and now it's, uh, it's fine. It's holding up. It's not fine. I mean, it took three to five years probably to recover from a fusion is a, I mean, you're, you're basically cut in half, right? Like you're detached, (laughs) right? Like your body is in two pieces and then they bolt it back together in the middle. (laughs) (laughs) That's what a fusion is. Well, you're still riding your bike, so I guess it's fine or at least it's. tolerable Uh, to be candidly honest i mean i'm in i'm still in basically discomfort or pain continuously Mm. like that's life at all times that's that's just life that's life (laughs) that's life it's that's no that's right but oddly and i and this is something that i i i mean it's caused a great many like problems it's been amazing it's interesting to think about but for me the best I feel is when I'm moving. Hmm. It's a very strange thing, but like part of the reason, you know, people don't get it. It's like, why would you make yourself go? I mean, cause I love spending all day on my skis in the mountains or, you know, backpacking endlessly or riding my bike. I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's like, it's completely a religious state for me mm-hmm. just to be moving through the mountains, you know, like under your own power, which is like a very nice segue to my next question. Uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> about, about Buddhism. Oh yeah. And uh, I, I said before that we're going to uh, touch um, like what happens when you die. And yeah. I, I guess you as a Buddhist, you, you believe that you are reincarnated. Mm, no, 
maybe. Okay, go on, go on. Well, no, no, okay, yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, I, um, I, I just um, want to know, like, um, how did you come in contact with this? Um, well, Buddhism is not really a religion, but it is sort of like a, a, a state of mind or like thinking. Yeah. So, how did you come in contact with it, or and like, uh, do you practice it? How how do you practice it? All that. Oh boy. Okay, I will do my best to make this a compact answer because it's a big one, <laughs> but um, yeah. So tell me if this is like too meta, but so I actually came to it through, I mean, I think th through cycling in a way, like through that practice of, I mean, cycling is a weird thing, man. Like when you're, there's a lot, you can look at it a lot of ways, but one lens to look through it is, I mean, you go out and you are by yourself suffering all day, every day. That's what you do. Mm -hmm. You don't talk to anyone. You don't do it. I mean, yes, yeah, sometimes you ride with your friends, but it's very often alone in bad weather. And like, that's what you're doing. You just go out and like suffer all day. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's basically the job, you know, <laughs> like that's, that's, you know, that's the work part, you know? Yeah. Um, and so there's some, I think, And I, and I mentioned this just because I know a lot of other people in that space that have similar kind of philosophies. But so I was kind of interested in Buddhism already and living in Boulder. It's hard not to be exposed to things like that. Um, doesn't matter why, but let's just say it's a very new agey spiritual town. Mm -hmm. um, deep, it actually has uh, quite a history there um, and especially around Buddhism. In fact, um, okay. part of Boulder was founded this guy, Chagun Trumpa, that kind of escaped Tibet in the same wave of people that the Dalai Lama escaped in same time period oh, okay. and came here and sort of established Shambhala international, mm. which has been in the news lately for some not great reasons, but like it, it it's an integral part of Boulder. Actually, I, that's probably an important thing to mention. There's a Netflix documentary just waiting to happen. Yes. Um, yeah. My business partner here actually, has worked on something similar and uh, <laughs> is a Buddhist. Like, I mean, actually like was a documentary filmmaker. Yeah. So for sure. Um, so Buddhism, you know, like, and I remember, you know, I, I was coming down the Canyon, which is well, one of the many canyons here with a friend of mine, um, Eric Neusbauer. And we were coming back from training. I was in, I'd gone back to university after I broke my back and was working towards a computer science degree. And, um, was doing some collegiate cycling. That's actually kind of what motivated me to get back on. Mm -hmm. I like set a goal of going to collegiate nationals and getting a top 10 and just barely did that. But that was a big deal after, after that accident. Um, and so anyways, we we're coming down the Canyon and I, we were actually studying Goidel, Kurt Goidel, as in the contemporary of Einstein. Um, yeah. The incompleteness theorem. And I was reading that. And honestly, it was, um, I don't think I'll explain it in this podcast because that'll make it this answer even longer, but <laughs> it really was making me question a lot of, um, it was really making me some deep questions about the nature of reality and how complete of an answer science was to deal with reality. And, um, clearly science only deals with, we know only part of reality, objective reality, right. Exclusively. Yeah. Um, and it has some real limitations. It's not a complete system. So I'll just say, which begs the question, you know, in our culture, that's the role of religion. And uh, I think most scientists, I, I don't know, maybe this is changing a little bit, but for sure, when I was in science, it, it definitely felt like there was a very strong belief that, but that science and rationalism and mathematics and data is a complete system for understanding the world and mankind. And what Goidel really came along and showed is that's not the case. Like we know that not to be the case. So we can prove that that's not the case. So to me, that brought up some really interesting philosophical questions because it's like, well, how intelligent is it to relate to the world through a system that you know is incomplete and just insist that it is? And I'm like, that's no better or no worse than somebody being a fundamental protestant or muslim right yeah it's just it's it's not very intelligent to me it's it's not very smart and so i started thinking to myself that i needed to do something else now i'm not a theist and so just well it's funny i'm still not a theist but uh with respect to believing in things i i've changed my 
my thinking on that since this time. But I basically decided that the important thing for me, and this is also because we had young kids at the time, was to have a different way of understanding reality. Like I come from a family of musicians and artists and I'm, I am not, I'm an engineer. Mm -hmm. My brain is an engineer's brain. And I just felt the important thing, just like, you know, when you learn a new language, that's the tipping point. Like, you know, learning the second language is hard. And then you understand that people think differently. Yeah. And and I just decided I needed to have some other important way of relating to reality. And so I started reading a lot about Buddhism and, I will say, you know, that as a logician, rationalist, engineer, you know, the the Dalai Lama's writings in particular for me are some of the most bulletproof thinking that that I've read, right? Like the arguments that he makes are so logical and sequential that they're very difficult, if not impossible to refute. Like the case that he makes for the nature of reality is, and if you happen to be a scientist too, I mean, you can come at it the other way. I think a lot of intellectuals are, uh, who go deep in the rabbit hole of mathematics and physics get to a similar place. Like when you follow anything to the bottom and you're really trying to get after the nature of reality, uh, by definition, <laughs> you should get to the same place, right? Yeah. Different paths. They would have to go to the same place. Yeah. And so people come to the same place, which is like, oh, wow, like reality is fucking weird <laughs> and not very understood. And it's fascinating. And, you know, and I think that's if, if nothing else, like the awareness of that and like the awareness of how special it is to be aware of that should be like a great source of happiness to a lot of people. Hmm. Right. You know, I mean, like being able to like take a walk on your own feet. Yeah. But that, that just comes to, to gratitude um, that we lack so often. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, but it's, I think the thing is, is that I guess it, maybe it depends on the way you think, but it is gratitude. But at the same time, it's also, there's no other option, but gratitude. Like once you understand the nature of reality, like it's not that you should be, you know, grateful. Mm -hmm. It's that it's, it's inescapable. <laughs> yeah. Know? That's maybe that's a subtle difference, you know, but yeah, maybe, I, I mean, it's just, just the realization that we are and that we are ourselves and that the conscience and everything, even that is, I, I guess, beyond, uh, beyond understanding. And I, I think this will be a very interesting field in field in the next, um, couple of years, decades or whatever, when, um, you know, all the hype is now around AI and, and like artificial intelligence, this artificial intelligence, that, and most of it is just, you know, business speak and like just a way to get VC capital or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I mean, we will get to there at some point probably. And the thing is, where does, um, consciousness enter? Like, because we have no idea, yeah. absolutely no idea what it is, what it, where it comes from, nothing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, that just, yeah, I mean, that statement is, it, it's just, it's, it's such a shocking hole in our, like, in the scientific realm and like in the list of things <laughs> we've studied and tried to figure out it's just such a mind-boggling hole yeah and everyone that tries to is like um pushed to a side because like ah oh, you're just like a charlatan or you're trying to do something that is like impossible to do yeah um so even those that did try it's like did more or less failed i you know on that uh, in that on the topic of that i i think some of the most interesting thinking And writing that I've seen about that is by um, Yuval Harari. I don't know if you've read Sapiens or... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did. I think, you know, for people who are interested in things like that, that like a, um, that like a, like a very rational, logical, complete treatment, uh, very in-depth treatment of things like that, his thinking is, it's pretty bomber. I mean, he's... I think he's one of the most interesting minds in the last like hundred years, honestly. Yeah, easy, easy topics. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I know you uh, to like to to change gears a, a bit here. Um, 
no pun intended um mm-hmm. <laughs> I, i know you're also into um minimalism and does this like um originate from buddhism or did you arrive this from just living in alaska where there was nothing there and minimalism was a state of mind or um where does the appreciation for that come from and how do you practice it i think it originally came honestly from spending a lot of time in the outdoors um and especially under kind of I guess what some people would consider, I guess, extreme circumstances, but like, you know, growing up, say cross country skiing, like every day after school, like every day you need all your things and you're going to go out and you're going to do whatever, 15 miles or something out in the middle of nowhere where no one else is out there. And it's, I mean, it's 20 below, like that's like not even exaggerating. Like it's 20 fucking below. Like, mm-hmm. so it's cold enough. And especially when you're sweaty and, you know, and you're by yourself often, like sometimes you're with a partner, but very often you're also alone and you're out there and there's moose everywhere and you're just, it's dark. <laughs> it's pitch black also, right? Cause there's no daylight. You have a headlamp on and it's cold enough that, you know, if you have a small, if you make a small mistake, I remember one time I did a long ski about 20 miles from my house in a town called Sutton. Um, outside of Palmer and I got back and I'd lost my keys. And so like things got, you get, it gets really real, really quick because suddenly you're standing there and you're like, okay, I'm wet. It's 20 below. I'm exhausted. I don't have, I can't, I have food and water, but I can't stay here in my car and try to sleep all night because I don't have the key and I'll freeze to death and no one's going to come and there's no cell phones. <laughs> yeah. And so like all of a sudden you're like, okay, shit just got really real. <laughs> you know, The pressure, there's like this pressure from the outdoors. I ended up running home that day, but like there's this pressure from like, I think being in the outdoors where you want, that makes you think about your relationship to your stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like where you're like, I really, really need this. And I really, really don't want that. And I need to be, agile and prepared and that stuff, you know, is, um, our technology is their tools to help you do things. Like they're not entertainment or baggage or something you collect to look at. Like you have tools so that you can do things. And if you have so many tools that you can't even carry them, then you're not doing anything except managing your tools. Right. 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 Yeah. I don't know. It's mind boggling to me. Like when you look at how people, to me, it just makes sense. You know, you look at how a chimpanzee lives and you look at like how a, uh, how a Bushman lives. And then you look at how somebody like a fisherman lives and you look at how we live and we spend just an enormous amount of time thinking about our stuff, cleaning our stuff, buffing our stuff, making money to finance our stuff on stuff that we bought. It, it it just seems like so strangely circular to me. Um, yeah. And I think that, so I think that came from the, I honestly do think it just came from just moving through the, moving through the outdoors and like relating to the environment, you know, I mean, it, there's so many things that that solves. I, I think a lot of people view it as maybe an oversimplification, but for sure, man in his natural state, which is like, wandering through the wilderness looking for something to eat has relatively few problems i mean (laughs) it basically works you know yeah we may or may not have been designed to do that actually we've definitely not been designed to have (laughs) to have a conversation over like thousands of miles away (laughs) yeah yeah exactly and so i guess you know maybe a very tldr way to say it is that stuff is unnatural well but having tools and using tools is what what made us what we are it what what enabled all the progression that we had as a as a civilization well and i think that's where i'm drawing the line like if the thing you have is a tool Mm -hmm. then it is a tool right okay got it Yeah, yeah that makes sense that's what that's that that's that's what man does and that 
that's a good thing. I mean, cooking is fantastic. Like I would really like to keep my, my lighter, you know, <laughs> and my oven for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, um, very close to a philosophy of, um, like Patagonia that I, I just like, I'm uh, recently hyped because I just read the, the book, uh, from Yvonne. Oh yeah. Um, Uh, and he's saying that every every clothing thing, everything they design, they try to make it multi-purpose. So that you would need less things, but those things would be more applicable. And that's why they were one of the first to like talk about layering. And then just like instead of having four or five or six different wardrobes, you just have three clothes and then you layer them depending on the like conditions outside. You know, that's a funny, that's a, that's a, it's a strange thing that you mentioned because about, um, I don't know, maybe six months ago. Well, it was, it was actually the beginning of the ski season and I take my daughter to ski practice twice a week and I, I get to ski for an hour and a half as well. So I don't exactly mind it, but it, it's a lot of time pressure during the week. I have to leave work at three. It's a four hour round trip. Maybe that doesn't sound like much, but whatever. We're busy. I have another kid. Oh, it does. Definitely does. Like I said, I'm from Slovenia. Everything is that is further than like an hour away is far. Yeah. So it's it's a time commitment. Um, and I, anyways, going into the ski season this year, I put up all, all, my, all my clothes that I couldn't either ski or wear to the office. I'm just like, I can't. I, I just, I'm just like dressing and like picking out a wardrobe. I'm like, I don't have time for that shit. And so I just put all my other clothes up mm-hmm. and I just figured I'd see how it was. And, um, I mean, it's been mostly good. I will say that the last, you know, argument that my wife and I had kind of went like, uh, well, she washed my pants and she just, she said, I wash your pants. And I would kind of got upset with her. Um, which obviously upset her because she was doing me a favor. But the thing was, they're the only pair of pants I have right now. <laughs> and I had to go somewhere and I'm like, this is terrible. Okay, yeah, <laughs> no. I, think, I think that's too, too minimalistic. You, you have to have a spare part. <laughs> uh, anyways, now in fairness, I mean, I do have a lot of bike shorts and ski pants and long underwear, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like things like that. But I literally have boiled it down to like one pair of pants. Mm. Um, and, you know, and, you know, like most things, like I like to, I like to find the middle by like kind of by exploring extremes, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. like moderation to extremism or something like that. Like, <laughs> I mean, in whatever area you're in, like whether it's, computer science or training or your diet. Like, I don't know whenever you're problem solving, it's so easy. There's a name for this bias too, but like there's a, there's a, there's a, I forget exactly which bias it is, but whatever, there's a name for being, for not being able to imagine things that are too far from the norm. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you don't really know what the spectrum is. And so I think it's interesting just to like turn everything all the way up and then turn everything all the way down, you know, and just, just metaphorically yeah. whenever you can. And just being like, I don't know. I mean, I think that's what people like about traveling a little bit too. Right. You're like, I, I have all my shit in my bag and you're in a new place and it feels like anything's possible. Right. You can go anywhere. You can do anything today. Mm-hmm. Don't have to go to work. We just have to look at this like menu. I'm looking at a map right now as we speak, but like, You just look at the map of this city and it's like a playground, right? And you're like, well, all you, the only reason you feel like that is you don't have to go to work and you have so little shit that you can like get in a car or a bike or walk or a bus or whatever you're, you can go like all your stuff goes with you. Yeah. And people are like, it's the best. You're like, yeah, but like, so think about that. Like what's so different about when you go home and you're like, well, You know, like I have to, I have to like go to work for eight hours a day. And you're like, why? You're like, well, I have all these things I have to pay for. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you're like, well, but you don't want to do that. You'd rather be doing the vacation. People are like, yes. (laughs) 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 Like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. It, It really does seem crazy. Um, and America, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how much this resonates with you, honestly. I mean, this is, 
it's definitely a Western phenomena. It's not limited to America, but I don't know. I, th- I think the consumerism is is on the rise. Um, not, I mean, yeah, sure, it maybe originates from America, but it's definitely on the rise and getting extreme um, in in Europe and Asia is like right behind, um, and uh, which which is. Um, really devastating because um what we're doing especially like i don't know if you if you look at fast fashion and all that that's creating insane amount of clothes really really fast for consumption and literally those clothes are consumed they're not worn they're just consumed you wear it once you wear it twice you throw it away right that's a lot everything just ends up on the landfill and it's it's horrible and it's only increasing where we should really be thinking about what we're doing and and making things that last for longer because we are definitely destroying this planet. You know, and just, I I mean, not to like wax too philosophical, you know, philosophically either, but, you know, really like as, because we both work in technology, you know, like as engineers, like when you're building tools and you're trying to improve, I mean, in theory, you're building tools so that people will use them to do something they need to do, right? Yeah. That's this kind of that's general thinking anyways of technology or that will make their, you know, make their lives better. And, you know, for sure that is, I, I mean, we've proven that there is a, a utility to like that process and that line of thinking, but definitely it feels like we've crossed like some really important threshold where in almost every area that I see problems, I mean, you can just pick one like politic, whatever, the answer, the obvious answer, if you step back, is is almost never additive anymore. Like we never see something that just having less of something, just not doing something wouldn't fix, right? So like climate change is a perfect example, right? Like we just need, <laughs> you know, yeah. we just need less carbon going into the atmosphere. <laughs> we don't need to do anything. We need to do less of something. Like yeah. we have this with like internet consumption. We have this with the consumption of sugar. We have this with the consumption of opioids, social media, like, mm-hmm. like all the solutions at the end of the day are about less and, and, and even all the way to like less people, like less people would probably be good for everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. If you fast forward, you know, a hundred years, it's like, would the planet's overall happiness sentiment be better if there was half as many people on the planet? Is there are now? And you're like, almost certainly like everybody yeah. would have more resources, you know? Although there is one thing that I maybe misspoke before. The planet's going to be all right. Like the planet's been through wars. There's been like um, volcanoes. There's been like ice ages. The planet's going to be fine. Yeah. It's, it's like us. We, we're going to die. We're the one who's going to. Yeah. 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 No, I mean. Like take the short straw. Yeah. And we've come so far, you know, in our thinking around the value of like human life as a species that the only possible outcome that everyone seems to be striving to hit, whether it's curing cancer or more efficient food transport systems, better technology, like all technology is aimed towards one thing. And it's about increasing the number of people on the planet, regardless of how happy they are. Yeah. And that's like, that's the, that's basically like the situation right now. So like as engineers and designers, you know, and philosophers and teach, it's like people really, I feel like, and this, you know, obviously it's going back to minimalism too, but like just, we need to be looking at taking things away. Yeah. And unfortunately the thing that happens is like the hedonic treadmill, which I also discussed in a, in a previous episode with Nates is that like as as humans, we always want more. We always want the next thing. And all that you have right now, you take for granted and you don't appreciate it. Whereas like a couple of years before, if you would be given what you have right now in your hands, you would be wow, like, wow, this iPhone is amazing. Right. But since <laughs> we had it for we had it for two years, like, nah, this camera sucks. The new one is so much better. Yeah. And 
it's 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 crazy and we don't appreciate and we're back to gratitude right we're just <laughs> we're going in circles <laughs> yeah yeah no it's uh no, it's sure the same things uh, again and again and yeah and we don't appreciate stuff and we want more and we want the next thing and that's just yeah that's gonna that's what drives the unhappiness because we have everything to be happy we just think we don't i agree and you know and it's i on my bike ride today i was riding with the Actually, I don't know what his title is, but he's the found. What is one of the founders of this uh, software company in Denver? Meet Mindful. So it's basically a kind of a dating type thing around mindfulness. But they hmm. have a very interesting new product that uh, I can't say anything about. But we were talking about that, and um, yeah, and we were just discussing how, like, I've noticed, and I've noticed this relationship to as simple as it sounds, like. All those things, like if you give someone like a backpack and water and some food and you just like sort of go 20 kilometers one direction in the forest by yourself, right? Like in the mountains. Yeah. It all goes away so quickly. It, and I, it may sound like an oversimplification, but it's, it's actually extremely practical, you know, where it's like you're so glad that you have a down coat and a raincoat. Like when the hailstorm starts, you're just like, I'm so happy about this. And like, and if my zipper blew, I'd really be in trouble. I'm really happy that this zipper <laughs> works. You know, <laughs> if you've ever lost a zipper in the backcountry um, or a mitten, right? Like lost a mitten yeah. in the middle of winter. And you're like, oh my God, yeah, that's my day. It's terrible, right? If you could die and you know, or just, or just, or just taking a three hour hike. And you're just like, this is the best fucking sandwich I've ever had in my life. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's just right. Yeah. Uh, and it's, and you know, you go through the, the rain and then the sun comes out and it, it really is an, an, an being outside really living in your environment. And this just stands to reason like being in your natural environment should make you feel very content right? Yeah. I mean, if we weren't designed to feel content in our natural environment, if we were designed to be miserable in our natural environment, I, I doubt that we would be like account for 90% of the vertebrate life on the planet. Like, yeah, I don't think it's the case that that's not actually a, a biological phenomena. In other words, like we're wired that way. And, um, you know, it's interesting, but well, it won't be interesting to you because you live in Slovenia, as we pointed out. But for <laughs> other people who may look, listen to the podcast, uh, you know, Boulder, one of the real epiphanies that the founders of Boulder had was basically just designing the city around access to open space was it's built into the city charter. They have to like buy land and put it off limits to development, yada, yada. And they've had all these creative strategies, but the the net result, and I think people often overlook it, is it is actually, that's what drove up property values here. That's why the investors and companies started moving in is at the end of the day, it was access to open space. Mm -hmm. And these are engineers. And, and I mean, it's, it's a big thing. Like a friend of mine built the Twitter office here, like, you know, built a team I was running um, he's working for Splunk now, but when, when Twitter acquired Gnip and Twitter built this new Boulder office and people started coming out from San Francisco, they like immediately had to put it off limits to transfers because they, you know, they had planned to like be able to grow 150 people or whatever, but everyone from San Francisco was just going to be here. They came out once and like, Oh my God. Right. <laughs> it's amazing. And you know, but it's part of this like whole conversation. It's like, why is it amazing? You're like, because, because in five minutes you can be in nature. Like, yeah, it's not actually that complicated. Yeah. <laughs> really? You know, <laughs> like, and you don't even need that much to do that. You know? Yeah. yeah. For me, it's like, it's like great. Cause like the, well, you know, Ljubljana is small. It's a, it's a small city of like 350,000 people or whatever, but like you're, and no matter in which part of the city you are, there's like a, a park or like a, a hill nearby where you can go. And, and it's like, you don't know how nice that is um, until 
you don't have it. And then you live like in a concrete jungle and there's just nothing other than artificial parks. And that's just, that's, that's not it. That's, you know. Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, it's, it's a wonder to me actually that with, uh, you know, with as, as many mental health problems as we do have worldwide and especially in the United States, it's remarkable to me that more like way more people aren't losing it when I go to some places, you know, in the country and I see just how people are living, working, relating to their environment. You know, it's like, I don't know how, I don't know how, you know, we're not having somebody lose it every day in every city. Uh, yeah, they do. In some places. They do lose it. Yeah, I guess they do. They do. It's just how they do. Anyway, uh, for something more on the upside. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's I, I always end the show with like um, uh, three recommendations from the guest. So like three things that made a lasting impression on you or like change your life. Um, this can be like books or articles or videos or like whatever, like the three things that made you who you are. I think, I, I mean, I could say some, this conversation has been like really philosophical. So I might make, I might, I might keep it really simple for that. I mean, one is one should design a life around experiencing nature. Like the natural world is like totally accessible and plenty and can make you very happy. Just that is one thing. Um, it's going to be a funny one, but I'm sitting here at my desk right now. And um, I think relationships to animals are really important too. I mean, I really love, I really love my dogs, but I, I also think that there's, there's just, it's really, um, it's good to recognize like that we're not the only animals on the planet mm. just for a correct perspective, I think. And it makes you really, really happy. So I think, I think animals are really important and they're great audiobooks. My kids absolutely loved them. And so do adults. Like they're just, if you haven't read them, they're some of the most deeply emotional books I've ever read is uh, all, all the James Harriet novels, all creatures great and small um, are just fantastic. It's basically the diary of a, of a country vet, but he's a gifted writer. And of course it's all about, you know, human relationships and people and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just I, I I challenge anyone to listen to one of those and not cry. I mean, they're they're incredible. Um, <laughs> okay. So yeah, all the James Harriet uh, novels. And that's for even for like a you know it's appropriate for like a five year old girl. I mean, they're amazing. And that brings me, I think, to, to the last one. You know, that working on your own capacity to have good human relationships, which is something that's always in process. I mean, that's like something that. You know, I mean, I have some relationships that are fantastic now. I have some that I'm really needing to like work on. Um, but l- like I've changed my system recently. Like I actually organize my to-do list by people hmm. instead of goals or tasks. Um, and so I think just kind of like inverting, you know, people's thinking to be a little bit less about themselves and a little bit more about others and, and those relationships is there's a lot of ways to come at that, you know, like whether you're, whether you're a Buddhist or not, you know, I mean, just really thinking about the value of like human relationships and that that's the ultimate source of what we're here for and, you know, what makes us happy. I think that's, that's the last thing. And I mean, books there, I mean, there's so many, but um, I think I would recommend uh, uh, What Makes You Not a Buddhist by Drunksar Kensei. Um, and I think it's actually titled The Path to Enlightenment. It sounds like a, a book for dummies, but it's written <laughs> by the Dalai Lama. And okay. it's a, I, I feel like it's a master, a masterpiece in logic. Um, that's just a really interesting read from that perspective and definitely changed like sort of my viewpoints on, um, human relationships and compassion. Okay. That's, uh, yeah, sounds, sounds really great. At least we ended up on a positive note. <laughs> yeah. It can be hard these days. <laughs> <laughs> I had like, I had no idea where this conversation um was gonna go because there are like, there are still so many things I would like to talk to you about, but uh, yeah, I guess we've been we've been going on for long enough. <laughs> because of the 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 power of the internet, and that's a that's a really cool thing. I mean, I I 
honestly, I get really down on social media and the internet generally, you know, at times. And then, but it is considering like a relationship like we have, you know, I'm like, it is pretty cool to have somebody that you really want to deepen a relationship with. You want to talk with, you're like, yeah, maybe I'll like go visit, you know, go visit some other mountains sometime. That's a really positive benefit. And I, you know, even in the con, just as an example, even in the context of social media, it's something that I think people can focus on is using it as a tool to deepen a few relationships instead of just screaming at the world through a megaphone or whatever we're doing now. Yes, social media is at the same time the best and the worst thing that has ever happened. That is a very good way to put it. (laughs) And also a a good way to end this podcast. Yeah. Uh, So uh, thank you, Ara, uh, again for being a guest. It has been my uh, absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I felt a little bad. It took a while, but you know, I also I was really looking forward to this conversation, and I hope uh, hope the next one will be face to face. Yeah, I hope so too. And uh, yeah, with that, uh, thank you and uh, goodbye. All right, man. Talk to you soon. All right, this was my interview with Ara. I would love if you would share this podcast with your friends and followings. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, you would truly make my day if you post a review there. I get direct messages, but no one else sees those. Reviews and shares on social media are there for everyone to see, and they help other people discover good shows, like, you know, this one. If you use a different app like Breaker, Overcast, or anything else that supports liking or favoriting, I'd appreciate your action there as well. You can also financially support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash parpasspot. That's patreon.com slash p-a-r-p-a-s-p-o-d. Or open the show notes and follow the Patreon link there. Thank you. You can find this show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We are at ParapassBot on all of them. All the links from this episode are in the show notes and on our website, parallelpassion.com 28. Thank you for listening and have a passionate day. Oh my God. What I have to say is I may have to interrupt this podcast to go get a piece of these donuts out there. Holy shit.